0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Well, welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. Thank you for joining me today. Hope you're enjoying this series on election and predestination. Today, we are going to be looking at Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, and this concept of God choosing people before the foundation of the world, predestining, predestinating them to the adoption as sons. What does that mean? Does that mean that from eternity past, sometime way back before the foundation of the world, God chose who would be a Christian and who would not? That is the question we are going to try to answer today from Ephesians chapter 1. So make sure you join around, uh, stick around and listen to today's podcast episode. I do want to let you know I do have a book on this topic. It is called The Rejustification of God. So if this topic is of interest to you, I encourage you to get that book pretty much wherever books are sold. Amazon, iTunes, Kobo, Barnes & Nobles. You might even be able to order it down at your local bookstore. I haven't tried, but uh, I've made it available. It's the best of my abilities in those places as well, so you should be able to get it there. All right. Um, I don't think I have any other more news for you today. I'm working on some other books, but we'll tell you about that in future podcast episodes. I should say as well, this podcast episode is drawn from my online course, the Gospel Dictionary. It looks at 52 keywords of the gospel, and one of them, of course, is the word elect or election. All right, we're also going to be studying the word predestined today. I, I include that in the Gospel Dictionary course, but under uh, election as well because they're sort of related. Uh, another word we will be looking at today is the word adoption, and I'm going to go through it really fast because adoption is another word that I look at in the Gospel Dictionary online course. So if you like this way of studying, learning about Scripture, defining keywords and then seeing how they're used in various biblical texts, I invite you to join us and take this online Gospel Dictionary course. All you have to do is join my online discipleship group. Once you do that, all of the courses are free. Learn more and sign up. You can just go to redeeminggod.com join. All right, hope to see you there. Let's get into our study of Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. I don't know if you've ever had a debate about election or predestination with anybody. But sort of the common view is that in eternity past, before the foundation of the world, God chose or God elected certain individuals to receive eternal life. And those who didn't elect, you know, some people believe that God chose them for eternal condemnation or that he just sort of passed over them. He didn't choose them for eternal life. So by default, they get eternal death. And uh, there's lots of passages in the Bible that seem to teach this idea. Uh, Two of the most prominent ones are Romans chapter 9, which we looked at in last week's podcast episode. And Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, which we are going to be looking at in today's study. So um, the verse says this. Let's just begin by reading the verse. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Paul writes, "...just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons... By Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now you, you sort of notice I jumped right into the middle of one of Paul's sentences and it also left us hanging. That's because this is one huge long run on sentence by Paul here. It's like 10, 11 verses, something like that in the English. And so, but we're just going to be looking at 1, 4, and 5. Ideally, we should look at the whole passage, uh, but we don't have time for that today. I do have sermons on my website. Where I do dive into, I've preached through Ephesians, and so you can go read some of the contextual stuff. Just go to my website, redeeminggod.com, click the link which says Scripture, and then you can find the section of sermons on Ephesians right there, and read any or all of them that you want. So I do have a, a sermon there on Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, and another one on Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6, Okay. So Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, though, real briefly, it is not teaching—I do not believe Paul is teaching—that God chose or predestined or elected some people to receive eternal life while everybody else gets eternal death, okay? A a careful study of the text reveals the same truth I've been teaching for the last several weeks on this podcast episode, that— uh, election is to service. All right? Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 teach that it was God's plan from eternity past to adopt all who believe in Jesus, to adopt them as his heirs so that we will become holy and blameless before him. All right, So that's just sort of a heads up on where we're going and how I what I want to show you from this passage. So first, we see this in two main ways. First, we were elected— to be holy and blameless. This is his, Paul's point in verse 4. Paul writes in, ver, in Ephesians 1-4 that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, a lot of people, when they read this verse, they think that it says, or they teach that it says, God chose us to be in him before the foundation of the world. All right? And so what they say is is they're reading this to be, these two words, to be, into the text, saying that before the foundation of the world, God decided who would be in Jesus, who God would place in Jesus, who God would give eternal life in Jesus. But notice that is not what Paul is saying. He says God chose us in him. In other words, God didn't choose you and me before the foundation of the world, God chose Jesus, and by default, all who would be in him. That's what Paul is saying. We were not chosen to be in Jesus. God chose Jesus, and then because God chose Jesus, all of us who later believe in Jesus for eternal life, and we join with Jesus, right? And because of that, we become part of the task, the purpose, the responsibility, That God gave to Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying that we are elect, we are chosen because we're in Jesus Christ, and He is the ultimate, supreme, elect one. All right? And by the way, people who say that election is to eternal life, well, Jesus is clearly the elect one in Scripture all over the place. Now, we're elect too. Israel was elect and so on. We talked about that in previous podcast episodes, but Jesus is elect. Are we saying then that God decided from eternity past to give eternal life to Jesus? I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Jesus is God. He he has eternal life. He is eternal life. All right? And so uh, God didn't choose in eternity past to give eternal life to Jesus. That's because election is not to eternal life. Election is to service. And so even God can choose Jesus as a member of the Trinity to come to this earth and perform certain tasks certain functions so that God's will can be carried out on this earth. All right? This whole concept that election is to service, not to eternal life, it also fits with Jesus. All right? So so therefore, just as the election of Jesus is to some specific task and person, a purpose, all of us who by faith in Jesus are placed in Jesus, we also are given some specific task or purpose, just as Jesus was. In fact, a lot of our tasks and purposes— in this earth are identical with those of Jesus. He was called, he was invited to be a blessing, to serve others, to reconcile the world to God, to set at liberty the captives, right? To reveal God to the world. You can go see in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, Jesus explains in a sermon of his own the the reason he came, why he has come, what he God wants him to do. And I would say that as followers of Jesus, as chosen ones in Jesus, that our task, our purpose, is to do similar things. As the elect in Jesus Christ, we must follow Jesus wherever he leads and whatever he does. All right? And so, uh, by the way, there's some danger here to this idea that you might hear people say that Jesus has done it all. Well, when it comes to eternal life, Jesus truly has done it all. All right? But there is a lot more to the Christian life than just getting eternal life. Eternal life is when we're born again, when we receive the new life. But that's like saying that once a, a, a person uh, comes into this world as a little baby, an infant, well, there's nothing left to be done. No, <laughs> that's just the very beginning. And it's the same way with us as the elect in Jesus Christ. When we are born again, when we are placed into Jesus Christ, when we um, become part of the family of God, Yes, Jesus has done it all to help us do that, to help us, not not even help us do that. He has done it all as far as eternal life is concerned, no ifs, ands, or buts, okay? But once we receive eternal life, there's a whole lot for us to do because we are elect, we are chosen, and we're supposed to do the same things that Jesus did. Anyway, lots of tangents there, but I think you get the point. Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that yes, we're elect, but we were not chosen before the foundation of the world, to be in Jesus. That is, God didn't look forward or didn't decide from eternity past who would be a Christian and who wouldn't. Instead, in eternity past, God decided, God declared, God chose, God elected, that in the future, whoever believed in Jesus, they then would share in the task and purpose that God gave to Jesus. That as the Trinity, they all decided, determined together that Jesus would accomplish. And we get to participate in that once we become a Christian. Okay? Uh, Another way to see this, by the way, is right there at the end of uh, verse four, where it says that, um, let me just go back up here and read the text. That, we, that just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should receive eternal life. Is that what Paul says? No. He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. Okay, so this is our task and our purpose. It's about sanctification. Election is a sanctification truth, not a justification truth. Okay, it's not about how we receive eternal life. It's about what we're supposed to do once we have eternal life. Okay, and Paul says there, we are chosen to be holy and blameless, all right, as Christians. All right, so that's verse 4. Verse 5 is a very similar concept. Here, Paul changes up the words, changes the imagery a little bit, but the idea is the same. He says in verse 5, basically, that we were predestined to the adoption as sons, Predestination is about God's goal for his people same as election all right predestination is not about god in eternity past selecting who would become his people all right it's it's a very similar concept to election it's god predetermining predeciding predestinating that those who are Christians would join with him, join with Jesus, participate in God's plan and purposes for this world. Again, it's a sanctification truth, not a justification truth. Predestination is about the benefits, privileges, blessings that God sometimes give to those who become his children by faith in Jesus. Okay, and there's lots of verses about this in the, in the Bible. I don't have time to go into them all. Now, the reason— Lots of people think that predestination is about who receives eternal life or who gets to join the family of God is because Paul uses this concept of adoption in verse 5. He says that our adoption is our, our predest we were predestined to the adoption as sons. So We get in trouble with this because we tend to think that when Paul writes about adoption, uh, he has in mind the same practices of adoption that we use today, right? Uh, We don't realize that adoption practices have changed. You know, they think, uh, how does adoption work today? Adoption works today. There's these orphans, people who do not have children or do not have parents, and then there are parents who. Either they have some children or they don't, but they want to add another person to their family. So they go through an agency, they go through a website, they fill out paperwork, do background checks, pay some money, all sorts of process to that. And then finally, they choose or select a little girl or little boy to join their family. And then they bring them home, sign some paperwork, and it's a done deal. Brief summary of how the adoption process works here in modern Western culture. And so when people read this, Ephesians 1.5, they think, oh, well, that's what God did. He wanted some more children in his family, so he went out and he brought people into his family. That's what predestination is. And God must have decided this from way back when, before we were ever born, that that's what he was going to do. He was going to bring us into his family. All of this can be cleared up if we understand what... The Bible means when it talks about adoption. Adoption practices in the days of Jesus and Paul and the apostles and the early church are were not at all like adoption practices today, okay? So let me just give you a brief summary of how adoption worked back then. And again, I do cover this in a lot more detail in the Gospel Dictionary course, uh, the entry on adoption, all right? Here's how adoption worked in Paul's day. Uh, first of all, it wasn't about making a child your own. Instead, it was about making a child your heir. Okay? So, that's really all that adoption concerned. Choosing a child to be your heir. Usually, back then, and in many cultures today, the firstborn son is the heir. However, In some cases, a father might decide to have somebody else be his heir. And if that was what the father wanted to do, then he would adopt that other child as his heir. And notice, sometimes it could be one of his own children. It could be the second born, or the third born, or the youngest. It might be a child from a mistress. <laughs> okay. And there would be various reasons for this. Maybe the uh, oldest son tried to spark a rebellion or displeased the father or lost some war or just was a big, you know, shame to the family. And so the father would say, you know what, oldest son, you were my heir. Not anymore. I'm going to adopt your younger brother as my heir. Isn't that interesting? The younger brother's already the son of the father. But he's adopted as the heir, okay? And there's lots of other ways that this adoption worked. A lot of times, in uh, various cultures throughout history, you could form alliances through marrying one guy's daughter, one man's daughter, to the son of someone else, right? We see this in movies all the time where they're trying to form alliances between two kingdoms. And so the prince of one kingdom marries the princess of another and now that unites the family. Well, in the days of Paul and Jesus and the apostles and the early church and so on, uh, that happened. But it could also happen through adoption. One child who has parents and is part of a wealthy, rich, aristocratic family might be adopted by another rich, wealthy, aristocratic family. And maybe they would even switch sons and both families would adopt the other son as their heir. Notice these weren't orphans who were on the streets who didn't have parents. This is about making a child your heir. Has nothing whatsoever to do with bringing them into your family or anything like that. Sometimes they were already in your family, sometimes not. But again, it is about making someone your heir. The most famous historical example of this is when Julius Caesar adopted Octavian, who in scripture is known as Caesar Augustus. <laughs> okay? Um, Octavian was not Caesar's son. Caesar had a biological son with Cleopatra named Caesarian, but he wasn't named as heir. Instead, Julius Caesar adopted—I think it was his cousin or something like that—he uh, had family, okay, rich family, but Caesar decided—Julius Caesar decided to adopt one of his other relatives as his heir, Octavian, Caesar Augustus, uh, and he ended up being Caesar as well, okay? Okay. One of the most famous examples in ancient Roman history. So anyway, biblical adoption has all, very little, if anything, to do with picking a parentless child to join your family. Usually, in a biblical adoption, the child you were naming as your heir already had a family. So what it's about is naming someone as your heir. Adoption's not about bringing someone into your family, instead it's about giving a child privilege and position in your family, whoever that child might be. So with that idea of adoption in mind, Paul's statement here in Ephesians 1:5 makes a whole lot more sense. Well, God did predestine from eternity past that there would be a people whom he would adopt as his heirs. What Ephesians 1:5 says. This doesn't mean that God individually selected. I'm going to make that one my heir, and that one my heir, and that one my heir. And besides that, many of these might have already been His children. Anyway, uh, instead, what Ephesians 1:5 is saying is that in eternity past, God set in motion a series of events that would bring about the creation of His family, who were the called-out people from the earth, and these. His children, he would name as his heirs. And best of all, this is what Paul goes on to talk about in the following verses. Best of all, it's not just one. It's not just the eldest, which would technically be Jesus. But it's all of his children. You, me, not just his male children, his daughters as well. Okay, All of us are the heirs of God and co-heirs of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul goes on in Ephesians 1, 6 and following to talk about our inheritance. Why? Because adoption is about inheritance. So that helps us to understand a little bit more about Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5. All right, election is not to eternal life. Election is to service. And Ephesians 1 4 is not saying that in eternity past, God decided who would be a Christian and who wouldn't. It's saying that in eternity past, God chose Jesus. And all of us get chosen by default when we believe in Jesus for eternal life because we get placed in Jesus. And the same with predestination. God chose, decided, predetermined in eternity past that everybody who was going to be his children, he was also going to name as his heir. Paul's not saying that God picked who would be his children. God is saying, uh, Paul is saying that God decided that his children, all his children, would be his heirs. And it's a wonderful privilege, blessing, and benefit that Paul is talking about there in Ephesians 1 5. Paul's point is that when you join Jesus Christ by believing in him you automatically become connected with the divine eternal purpose of God what God is doing in this world you become elect and you become an heir an heir of everything God owns you are extremely rich You share the wealth of God. And that's Paul's point. And he goes on to explain this an awful lot more in the following verses. Jesus is the one who was chosen before the foundation of the world. And so all who are in Jesus are elect as well. And we are predestined to adoption as sons so that we can love, serve, and redeem the world. So that's ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5 i hope that that sort of cleared that up for you help you understand those verses a whole lot more especially this concept of adoption in the bible as you're reading scripture look for this concept of adoption and how i presented it to you today and a lot of those passages will make a whole lot more sense to you as well i hope now if you do have questions about romans 9 and Jacob and Esau and hardening of Pharaoh's heart and the potter and the clay. Make sure you go and listen to last week's podcast episode. We talked about that passage then. Next week I'm excited. I'm going to be interviewing Sean Lazar, who's written an excellent book on election called Chosen to Serve. And so we'll have him here. Probably won't be able to do it live on Facebook, but we will be able to interview him and I'll post the podcast interview later as we talk about what he has learned from scripture about election. That uh, And he's come to the same conclusion I have that election is to service. Okay, so we'll be doing that next week. And then after that, we'll move on to some other word. Can't remember now off the top of my head what it is in the Gospel Dictionary. Um, But these podcast episodes are sort of short snippets or summaries of some of what we talk about in the Gospel Dictionary course. So if you like these and you want to learn more... Uh, Along with all of the other courses I have there, I have one on the church, I have one on how to share the gospel, I have one on, I think, an entire course on Romans chapter 9, doing one on my book about evangelism, and anyway, you can take all of those for free when you join my online discipleship group. And you can learn more and join by visiting redeeminggod.com join. Thanks for listening this week. We'll see you next week when we talk to Sean Lazar about his book, Chosen to Serve. See you then. Talk to you later.